In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable stars. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as The Binary Saga. Log entry, Hymavina 87, 2392, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Daddy. Hang on, I have something to play for you. Congratulations, Jason! That's all of my family. <laughs> oh, Jason, Nasu is so precious. I'm so happy for you both. Those sweet little cheeks, those tiny web fingers. Look, she's my hand terminal screen. I can't stop staring at her. Oh, she's perfect. Oh, I'm going to tear up again. I keep forgetting how small Valen newborns are. I bet she would have fit right in the crook of my arm when she was born. If Aunt Ori is anything like my mom, she probably insists on holding her every chance she gets. And how can you not? Look at those tiny little nose flaps. Oh, her scale color is so unique, and I see what you mean. She's going to grow up to look just like her beautiful mommy. I need many more pictures and vids of her giggling. I want to see what color her scales shimmer when she's happy. How's Erin doing? Has everything been okay since she gave birth? Complications of any kind can be scary. I don't remember if I told you, but Mari's twins were delivered through a surgical procedure because the girls were too big for a natural delivery. It's common with twins, but it's still scary when you aren't planning for it. Oh, I should tell you real quick. Mari and Kai are having another baby. Just one this time. They just told us yesterday. We are all so excited for them. It was very sweet of you to honor Nosu like that. Wherever she is now, I'm sure she's touched. Nasu is such a great name. You probably didn't know this, but in Veronian, Nasu means cute or adorable which is fitting, because she's so cute. <laughs> I know you preferred a private mating ceremony, but it sounds like Jonah and Kessa were meant to be there, and the bond the four of you share will make you family. How often do you all get to see them? Wouldn't it be great if the girls grew up to be best friends? By the way, I knew that giving birth in water sounded easier. Let's just say monobirths are not as calm and tranquil as velen births. <laughs> but once you have that little one in your arms, your whole world becomes that tiny person, and you can't remember what your life was like before that moment. I am so excited for you both to experience the joys of parenthood. It will be the hardest and best job you will ever have, and I can't wait to hear all about it. And of course, I would be honored to be Nasu's postal. And I promise to protect, love, and be there for her in any way I can. And I hope one day soon I can meet her. Well, I haven't joked with Raythea about the girls going to a Velen school, because she's mad at me right now. The twins told me that they didn't want to move away from home for school, so they took the exams for Calamar Prep School in Talina. Calamar students can live at home if their family is local. The Academy allowed local students like me and Kai and Mari to go home on the weekends, but we are still required to live in the dorms during the week. I told Raythea that Calamar Prep consistently outranks Brengar Prep in academic proficiency, 
neurodiverse accommodations, and student satisfaction. When I pointed out that I was fulfilling Andy's desire to have the girls educated in the Olithian system, Raythea growled and muttered that was not what he meant. <laughs> After the girls took the exam, the Calamar professor who proctored the test told me that he noticed Callista covering one of her eyes while she was reading the screen. He thought that she had vision problems and forgot her glasses. My dad wears glasses, so I took her to an optometrist, assuming that she inherited his hyperopia. After having her eyes tested, we discovered it wasn't her vision, but a common learning condition called dyslexia. Dyslexia doesn't change her intelligence, just how she processes when she reads and learns other languages. Once we got home, Callista curled up next to me on the sofa and said that she was broken. And Bjorn sat in front of her and said that if she was broken, then so was his daughter Janine, because she was also dyslexic. And that brightened Callista, because she adores Janine. Later that night, Janine came over to talk to Callista about her challenges and how being dyslexic was nothing to be ashamed of, and said, We are just more creative when we think, and that makes us unique. Callista loved hearing that. And the girls' school has been really supportive in offering audio versions of Callista's textbooks and changed the text font for her homework. We have seen a vast improvement in her scores and enthusiasm for school. Well, things with Bjorn are still going well. We've hardly spent a night apart, and sometimes we even sleep. <laughs> he usually stays at my house because the girls have packed schedules, so we can't disrupt their lives too much. But the first time we spent the night at his house, I woke up in his bed, wondering, huh, I wonder how many other women have woken up here. I mean, honestly, I don't care. We had lives before each other. I just found it hilarious. <laughs> After I explained it to Bjorn why I was giggling, he told me that he never brought any of his former lovers to his home. And I was stunned. Then he said, My sweet, you are the only woman I want to wake up to every day. And I smiled at him, and I touched his face, and I asked him how long he had been working on that line. And <laughs> he said, A while. Why? Did it sound rehearsed? <laughs> and that's the best summary I can give you on my relationship with Bjorn. We are silly, playful, and deliriously happy. The one thing I have learned about semi-living with Bjorn is that his impeccable look is achieved by a regimented self-care routine. Aside from his strict vegetarian diet, every morning he does his Veneta exercise outside to greet the sunrise, and then swims laps. After his sauna and shower, he lets his body air dry while he gets ready, which includes combing in custom hair serums into his long hair, shaving his face, and applying an anti-aging facial treatment and rubbing a hydrating lotion all over his body. The first time he caught me watching his morning ritual, he said, What? It takes a lot of maintenance to look like this. <laughs> I just laughed and I remembered what Oli said about Bjorn taking forever to get ready. He was not wrong. <laughs> Which reminds me, when you mentioned the pairing ceremony, I paused your message and thought back to when Bjorn and I did that. I know, I shouldn't laugh, because the ritual is sacred for Valens. But I still can't believe I didn't realize it at the time. 
I have not told Bjorn yet because you said it would be frowned upon in your culture if anyone discovered I knew. But I like knowing that he and I are paired in the eyes of the Velens. As far as work goes, House Jorgensen paired up with House Laurelin for our next generation virtual gaming console, the EOSpace System 7. The cutting edge hardware is the work of Elena's remarkable engineering division. She says that little bump on her head she got in the lab accident was a small price to pay for something actually new. We've also been busy with the launch of our new flagship operating system, which unfortunately had a few bugs that were discovered after the launch. I won't bore you with it, but it's all good now. Thank Linnea. Needless to say, both houses have been doing quite well this year, and our employees definitely earned their month-long summer holiday. Well, I have a few fun stories to entertain you while you're up-feeding little Nasu. Bjorn and I invited Oli over for dinner one evening, and he brought a woman named Elsa. Oli and Elsa have dated on and off for mm, most of their lives. They always break up for one reason or another. They also had a long affair while they were both married to other people. Needless to say, it's complicated. <laughs> Bjorn said that she's a little vapid, but she was Jana's best friend and Oli's girlfriend, so he tolerates her every time she inevitably comes into Oli's life. When they entered Bjorn's home, Oli was grinning from ear to ear and holding hands with Elsa. Elsa stands around my mom's height and is very stylish. She hugged Bjorn and told him that women across the system are going to weep when they learn that Bjorn's most notorious lover was in a committed relationship. Bjorn blushed and introduced me. Elsa complimented my dress and then said, Newspark? Wait, are you related to that rock star? Ugh. She's fabulous. <laughs> I laughed, and Bjorn was clearly happy the conversation moved away from his former love life. <laughs> At dinner, Elsa reminisced about the past, and I heard a lot of funny stories about all of them. As the night went on, Elsa made little jokes about my age, and would say things like, This is before your time, kid. This made me chuckle to myself because cultural and generational references would be over anyone's head from Hymavina, regardless of age. Age gaps in relationships are common in my race, due to our lifespans. In fact, Erko is over 30 years older than Sonnet. Bjorn's daughters don't care how old I am, only that they love me for making their dad happy again. Then Elsa drifted to talking about Yana, which made everyone uncomfortable. At that point, I realized seeing Bjorn happy with someone else was probably harder for her than she expected. Oli is still with Elsa. We'll see. Maybe they'll make it work this time. On a different note, do you remember that enterprising former ECAL pilot who kept testing the anomaly, claiming it was his right to be able to fly anywhere he wanted? Well, his name is Sanan, and he was arrested by the fleet for violating the no-fly zone. Again. When he was released, he held a press conference announcing his intention to sue the fleet for interfering with his innate right as a mana to follow Linnea's example and explore the stars. Of course, that was followed up by a request to support his cause. You would not believe how much money he has raised. But it gets better. A couple weeks after his arrest, he and a group of conspiracy-promoting investigative reporters set out for Vela in an effort to prove that the anomaly wasn't real. 
Needless to say, they were caught in the anomaly and were set adrift. Luckily, a nearby VSA ship responded to his distress call. The VSA ship could not directly assist because Sanan's ship was floating in the anomaly, but they launched an emergency supply pod to his location and contacted the Enlithian 4th Fleet. Sanan and his compatriots were live-casting the entire time, claiming the fleet had disabled the ship to keep their anomaly cover-up. Once the VSA supplies drifted to the ship, the reporters started freaking out and claimed the Velens were, wait for it, shooting at them. As they finally drifted back into Aluda airspace, the fleet was there to greet them. The group is currently awaiting trial. Again. Aunt Juniper told the VSA commander that she owes her a drink the next time they're on Tangan together as a thank you and apology. Most rational people know that Sanan is ridiculous, but there are plenty of people out there who believe his claims no matter the evidence. In fact, there are plenty who believe the Velens are a violent race and remember your civil war. I have seen this debate countless times in the Samcoma hearings by Elithian fleet officers advocating for more funding. If you think about it, it's ironic that a race with such a robust military claiming another race is violent. I have something that will interest you professionally. Kai told me that House News Park won a HOXA contract to map the scale of the anomaly. When I asked Kai about the midpoint border, he said, Well, sis, think of it more as a sphere around the entire Von Law system. He said that his team has been probing around the anomaly for gaps or cracks in the ice, if you will. Kai said they were also able to confirm the VSA discovery that the anomaly seemed to originate from the edge of your system. However, since that part was outside the scope of the project, they could not investigate further. He said his team submitted their findings to HOXA, so you probably have already seen them. He's hoping HOXA will put out another phase of the project because he found the whole thing very curious. In the meantime, House News Park, more broadly, has its hands full as they are in the middle of overhauling the Ganama Space Elevator and expanding the News Park space yards on Viron's moon, Avalon. Which reminds me, a few weeks ago, Jeremy and I met for our usual fika in the Samcoma House Library after the Trade Commission meeting on Alondra. We still like to get together after meetings to complain about what happened, and the House Library is a great place for that. As we were talking, I caught him smiling at me, and he said, I'm not going to lie to you. You'll always be the one that got away. But whoever's making you radiate with happiness, it looks good on you, babe. I squeezed Jeremy's hand, and I thanked him for saying that. And then our conversation turned to our kids, as all parents do. You'll see. His son just completed his postdoc work at Hoxha and accepted a position with Verkstad's Astrodynamic Division. He told me to tell Kai to be easy on his son. <laughs> he clearly does not know Kai. <laughs> Speaking of family, your royal highness, <laughs> you crack me up. No, I'm the grand matriarch of the Mana Empire. Har har har. <laughs> I'm broadly familiar with the stories of Empress Hera, but to answer your questions, I attended an academic symposium at the ancient library. You will have to forgive me. I'm going on my notes, and now I wish I just recorded the event for you. Well, during Empress Hera's reign, 
Her territory covered nearly a third of the planet, with the majority in Lulea and Yodith. Trishaun was mostly uncharted, and the western parts of Yodith were divided into smaller territories controlled by other families. Real quick, apparently I've also been mispronouncing Trishaun. The H-A-V-N makes a hun sound, not haven. Anyway, Hera was crowned empress at age 20, around the same time she wed Ivar. The peace continued for over 30 years. Her people were thriving until a violent faction decided they wanted the riches of her lands and began raiding her subjects. In the end, her army prevailed and peace was restored. But as you read, her beloved husband Ivar was killed in the last battle. Hera eventually married again, for duty, and she went on to have five children. But her heart would always be with Ivar. In other stories, Hera was only ever seen wearing black, and often found holding her fieldstone, hoping to hear Ivar once again. According to the professor, the Vicksburg Castle housed her family for over a millennia after Hera's death. But modern society and culture advanced through the ages. New technologies and discoveries were made, and the new governments were formed. And like any society, the grand castles and the epic stories became relics of our past. Now, as far as my family is concerned, there is a relatively good chance that we are related to Empress Hera, because the ancient library has very good records. When the professor brought this little revelation up during the lecture, I slid down in my chair to make myself very small for fear of being recognized. Ancient historians know about some of the Jorgensen relics we hold, such as our family sword that we now know Astro the Warrior once wielded, and Hera's black cloak that I wore for my wedding. What the historians don't know is about the fieldstone that has been passed down through the Jorgensen generations. Bjorn and my dad have been fascinated that they have Hera and Ivar's fieldstones. As you can imagine, neither of them carry the stones now for fear of losing them. We have stored the stones back together at the Jorgensen estate. We like to think that Hera and Ivar can rest easy now knowing that they found each other again. If we fast forward to modern times, there are only three remaining Alithian houses that were around before the Sittasanda. House Rolana, House Hughesby, and House Selvig. House Tyran was counted among them until Bjorn bought them out and broke them apart. Ancient family names are still around, but they're not associated with houses. Oli is a descendant of House Hoffman, which was once a textile house from Yodith that was caught in a tax evasion scheme. The Samkoma stripped the Hoffman family of their funds and exiled them to Viron for their crimes, which inadvertently saved his family because the Sidis Onda occurred not long after that. As you know, family names are passed down through the mother and can die out if a daughter is not born or the mother decides to give her children her partner's name, like Mari and Yana did. Apparently, when I was born, this was a huge point of contention between Iria and Vera regarding which family name I would carry. My parents chose to give me both family names to stop the bickering. To make things more confusing, if we go far enough back, family names were used to identify which town or village someone was from. One of the most common family names in Yodith is Laurelin, 
because there is a city in eastern Yodith named for Astra the warrior's family, which was Laurelith. The girls pointed out to Bjorn that the legend says that Lord Ivar had gray-colored eyes, just like Bjorn's family, which proved that he must be related to the ancient family. I could tell that Bjorn has heard this from people all of his life and tried very hard not to roll his eyes. But with the girls, he just said, Well, I don't know if I'm related. But wouldn't it be pretty neat if a Lorland fell in love with the Jorgensen once again? Oh, but wait. I do love your mommy. And the girls giggled like little silly goofballs. <laughs> well, tonight, the girls are going to a sleepover at one of their friends' homes. Bjorn and I are going to have a quiet, romantic evening at his house. Trust me, in a few years from now, when Nasu is older, you will cherish nights when it's just the two of you. <laughs> but until then, love every moment. It's going to be an amazing ride. Lots of kisses to Nasu for me. Love, Auntie CJ, age 58. Log entry, Vela 88, Vela Rotat 2712, Cycle 4 of the 7th Annual. Hey, hey, Siege. When I was drifting through the area law system, I would spend so many nights awake. I tended to worry about how I was going to get my people home, if I had enough food on board to feed everyone, and what we would do if we ended up stranded out there forever. In a way, I felt like a father figure to everyone on board and was constantly worried about their safety and well-being. I was proud when the crew would accomplish something great and sad when something went wrong. I remember thinking to myself, this must be what it's like to have a school of my own. I think I can handle anything a new baby could throw at me. I was so wrong. I didn't think there was the potential that a child would actually be throwing things at me. Joru and Soma warned me about what life was going to be like when a child enters it. That there would be sleepless nights and loud crying and the constant hunger for attention or food or both. And that's just talking about myself. Aaron and Nasu have been incredibly strong in dealing with all of it from me. I mean, if I thought I was worried about my crew back then, it's nothing compared to preparing the house for one baby. I can't even imagine how you managed to do this with three. For starters, our new flat just wasn't large enough for the three of us. You may recall that my place was on the eighth floor of my building. We thought that with the elevator and lots of neighbors, we would be fine. And how much space can a kid even take up? They are super small, but there's all of the clothing, toys, special food, safety equipment, it was just too much. About five annuals after we brought Nasu home, I couldn't take it anymore. I would mentioned to Aaron that it was time to find a larger place. This may have come after I stepped on a set of building blocks for the third time. She smiled and sipped her tea, and then mentioned that she suggested this just after the mating ceremony, but that my response was, nah, it'll be fine. Then she slid over a few flyers of places that she had already looked at in a housing division south of CNR. We moved in the next annual, and the house 
is perfect. It's in a great neighborhood with quite a few other new parents. There's even a parents group that meets every few cycles to help with the development of the children. Best of all, Jonah and Kessa live three houses away. Your idea of Nasu and Penta growing up together is not far off. They already recognize each other, and in any of the parent group meetings, they gravitate towards each other like Chona and Chone. I'm attaching a vid of a full house tour. You can see that in Nasu's room, we have turned one of the walls into a photo mosaic with everyone that has had an impact in our lives so that she can grow up knowing the faces of loved ones. She has a special section with Astra, Callista, Ragna, and Penta, all labeled as sisters. I even bought a small stuffed medalla that has a chip in it that when you squeeze its paw, it plays a recording. I loaded it with voices from past recordings from you, Andy, Helgi, Mom, well, everyone. She sleeps with it every night. The downside to this is that occasionally, in the middle of the night, we would hear voices like, Hey, it's Astra. I'm so excited about the new baby. Come from her room. I would wake up in a start and run down, only to find that Nasu was awake and pressing the paw over and over again. Nasu is almost one and a half rotats old and is up and moving at the speed of light. She was already a fast swimmer, but now that she has figured out how to use her feet on dry land, it's very hard to keep up with her. It wasn't long after my last transmission that she started crawling across the floor, and now she is up on two feet. It's a whole new job of trying to keep her out of places that she isn't supposed to be. It seems like every day I'm saying things like, Nasu, you know you aren't supposed to be climbing onto the counter. Or Nasu, please don't dig up my plants. Mom, of course, is laughing the entire time any of this happens and keeps saying things like, Mama Amai was right. Erin is also doing amazingly well and said to thank you for asking about her. She has adapted to motherhood very well, though I think she gets frustrated on occasion. I hear her mumbling when dealing with something that Nasu has done. Well, that's a variable I didn't expect. Perhaps altering the input parameters would produce a different outcome. I try to remind her that dealing with a child isn't like programming an SI, but she just replies with something like, what's the difference? They're both learning systems that react to outside stimulus and adjust their behavior based on new objectives. At that point, I don't even attempt a rebuttal and I just let her continue. Erin is still teaching at the academy, though on an altered schedule. She said that it was important to keep up her normal life and show Nasu that it's possible to continue a life path no matter what changes come into it. She has excelled at both parenting and teaching, and juggling both. I didn't want to mention, during this inspirational moment, that part of the reason that we are both somewhat sane during all of this is because Mom hired a service to come in and help. We have Isla come in every few cycles to give us a web in cleaning and even caring for Nasu now and then. Of course, Mom has been over a lot since Nasu was born. She even hired a whole crew to help us move and made sure that there was an extra room in the new house that was designated as hers for when she stays with us. She has had a lot of spare time to spend here as she has finally decided to not run in the latest election for her council position. She said that, with the prospect of being a new grandmother, she needed more time to spend with her school. 
She can't fool me though. I know that there's a selection board that is meeting to discuss an ambassador program to Haimavina, and a number of names are being considered. Hers was one of them, and I suspect that she wanted to ensure that she didn't have any other conflicts. Even though we love all of the help from everyone around us, both Aaron and I cherish the time that it's just the three of us here. Like when Nasu is asleep on top of one of us, and we can just relax together. We have also taken her out on the Astra a few times, and she loves it. You can see her just watching the waves in the distance and pointing out various birds that are flying overhead. Both mom and Isla have been an amazing help, especially when it came time for me to go back to work. I couldn't stay home forever. So I applied for a teaching position at the VSA Command School. With the influx of craft being developed and so many new pilots and commanders being brought in, they jumped at the opportunity to have someone with real space experience. So now I am splitting my time between teaching and home life, with the occasional mission up to one of the moons and back to keep my flight status active. The last thing I need to do is go through training again. A single mission only has me gone from home for less than a full cycle, so it's not like I'm gallivanting around the stars for long periods of time away from my school. The missions to the moons have been more important to the VSA as of late as a huge discovery was made. Not like any of the other huge discoveries they make there, really. It's getting kind of crazy. It seems like every other Rotat, a new report comes in from Navi's team that there is something groundbreaking. Well, this time, it's actually more moonbreaking. I think that I mentioned that they had discovered some scarring on the surface of both moons that matched each other, proving that Chona and Chone were once part of a larger planetary object in orbit around Vela. Well, they have confirmed that this split happened just over 100,000 rotets ago. Based on the analysis of the scarring and soil samples on each moon, this was back when Velans were probably using sticks to hunt, or barely even crawling on land. Yet, they talk about it like it was just last cycle. Well, the part of this discovery that has shaken everyone is that they claim that the split was not a natural occurrence. Based on the readings they are getting from the analysis they did, the scarring is far too uniform and precise to be natural. Navi, in her report that was sent to the VSA, said that if the markings they were seeing on Chona were unique only to that moon, it could be construed as a random occurrence but they found the exact same markings on Chone as well. This could not be a coincidence. The SI-generated models that were put together and rerun thousands of times said that if there was any deviation to how the moon was split in any way, it would have caused one of the sides to enter into a catastrophic collision orbit with Vela and destroy the planet. They concluded that any sort of division would have to be created by an outside force and, judging from the nature of it, it would have to be some forethought and intelligence behind it. Needless to say, this has many of the scientists here extremely confused. We are talking about over a 100,000 rotats ago. Even your people were in early stages of development based on the history books you've sent. So, 
Before any sort of Velen discoveries, before Hera and Ivar, before Vela was Vela and Hymavina was Hymavina, there was something out there that carved our moon in two. And we don't even know why. See why I said this was pretty big? You would think that this sort of discovery would be dominating the wideband and the only thing that anyone would be talking about, but uh, you would be wrong. What's been over the news lately? Some wackadoo from former ECAL attempting to cross over the anomaly and getting stranded. Many of the crazy anti-Hymavina people have been on various programs claiming that this was the first step in an invasion that would come to oppress our people and that if the brave people of the Velen vessel hadn't fended off the incursion, that even more would follow. This, of course, has all been disproved with the release of the audio logs from the event. Most of them were vetted and had important info redacted for security's sake, but it's clear that the distress call from Sinian's craft came in and a research vessel in the area went to help. What was hilarious about the whole encounter is that I got to meet up with Edwe, who just so happened to be the pilot of said research vessel. And we had a few drinks together. He told me the whole story and explained that both their and the Haxacraft that they were coordinating with were confused and laughing the entire time they were communicating with Sinan and his cadre. They cleared the launch of supplies with Haxa before sending it, and both crews tracked the progress of the probe as it arrived. They heard screams of, An attack by the Velens! And the Haxa communication officer had to exasperatedly talk them down and inform them that it was only food and fresh supply of breathable air and that if they didn't want to starve or suffocate, that they would accept the generous offer from the Velens. Edwin said that he could have sworn he heard his commander on a private channel with Haxa commander, making bets on whether or not they would connect with the probe. From what I understand, our commander lost the bet. On the uptide, since it was a research vessel that was closest to Senan when the incursion happened, they were able to pick up a number of readings about the anomaly that all pointed towards, but not necessarily at, key. So now they are focusing their attention in that direction. So, in a way, Senan may have actually helped with the investigation for the anomaly. Based on what I have heard in some of his broadcasts, I'm sure that when the revelation comes to surface, he will take all the credit for it and claim that it was his idea to help discover the cause of this anomaly that he believed in the entire time. I am sure that when that happens, he will request a spot on the trade delegation out to Tanga to talk about his harrowing investigation. Another interesting bit of information that Edway passed on to me is that just after their interaction with Sinan, they stopped off at Tanga for a resupply and a quick break to confer with Haxa in an after-action report. While he was there, he noticed a new addition to one of the lounges. He told me that, in preparation of the agreements on consumer goods, a small donation was made of various products, showcased in a display for anyone to use and test. There just so happened to be a number of Jorgensen-manufactured EBS-7 systems set up. He said that the new system is incredibly fast and that the graphics make our emulators look like they're running on one of the early Radiolab's calculators. He said there was a demo of Realm of the Fallen Oracle running on one of them 
and that everyone that visited was invited to test it out. It was a huge hit among the crew and a line out the door for the chance to play on the system. My question to you, Miss Cicela Jorgensen Newspark, my lifelong friend and companion, pastel of my child and inspiration for a number of aspects of my life, where is mine? When I mentioned to Javi that the systems were there on Tanga, he had the nerve to put in for a supply mission out there just so he could see it before me. He knows that I can't get away from home for a while still, with Nasu here, so he jumped at the chance. Even taking a position as a tertiary pilot on a basic run carrying fabrication materials. He's already sent back a few vids showing him playing on one of them. Well, he sent it before his hand term was confiscated, since he wasn't allowed to be sending anything from Tanga. Please send along my support for young Callista and the issues that she's having. It's great that the classes she's in now are working so well with her and giving her the support that she needs to succeed. It sounds like this is something that is a known concern and manageable with the right change in habits and tools. So I am sure that with Janine's help, there is no limit to what she can do. You can remind her that she is potentially related to the great Empress Hera and that she herself faced a number of hardships and grew up to lead an entire empire. Hera wouldn't let anything get in the way of doing what was best for her people and is an inspiration to follow. I was just about to say that it's finally quiet in the house as everyone was asleep and I had a moment of peace to send you this message. But I just heard your voice come from down the hall saying, Nasu is so precious. Which is kind of odd considering that I'm sending you this right now and you aren't here. It takes me a moment to remember that silly Madala. Both Aaron and I love the idea of it, but after the eighth time of hearing Javi say, Who's the bestest little Nasu in the world? You are! It gets a bit old. I would try and hide it, but I know it would only lead to a crying fit until we gave it back to her. At least we occasionally get to hear voices from over there, and that's a little more comforting. May the waves guide us. Jason, 58. Log entry, Hymavina 88, 2393, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Papa J. Welcome to Parenthood. <laughs> your message delighted me to no end, but I have no sympathy for your building block foot injuries because I seem to recall you also sent my girls those same monstrous blocks. That, my dearest friend, is called payback. <laughs> Just wait until Nazu discovers a song she really likes and plays it over and over again. To this day, the Captain Cosmos theme song just plays on a repetitive loop in my head like a dreadful footbolta chant. Bjorn, on more than one occasion, has threatened to buy the studio who created the show just so he can personally fire the writers of the theme song. <laughs> I am happy that Nasu is so vibrant and is bringing you both so much happiness. Those vids of her out on the Astra are amazing. I love the look on her face when she discovers something new. It's like she lights up. And I love your new place. It's great. I will warn you, 
that having lots of kids in your neighborhood will mean lots of kids in your house, and they will never leave. Sometimes I come home to find seven kids piled around the sofa playing video games, and I'm pretty sure only three of those munchkins are mine. Speaking of, I guess it was only a matter of time until you found out about the game lounge on Tanka Station. I didn't want to say anything until it was complete, but several technology companies, us included, have been working to get it set up for a while. Hopefully, Javi mentioned the conventional bar games like Tao and Billiards. Next time you get back out there, you will be able to play Phantom Guardian 2 and Solar Storm: The Fight for the Zarella System on our game consoles. And of course, I have a system for you. Hold on a second. See? It's sitting right there, brand new in the box with its own vid screen. I had the entire system and screen custom engineered personally by Elena, so it's compatible with Velen electrical voltage and outlets. Elena is more excited for you to test the system on Vela than you are. We are just waiting for the okay from Minister Mortensen, and then it will be on the next crate. I promise. Which reminds me, yes, I did see the story about Chona and Chone being deliberately split into two, but I didn't think the story was real. In fact, my executive assistant forwarded me the original story because he found it funny and thought the Finn Collective was planting new wild rumors about the Velens. If Navi thinks something or someone split the moon on purpose, Vafon, Jason, that's not pretty big. That's insane. I mentioned it at brunch the other day, and Erico nonchalantly said, "Hmm, well, not everyone is a Velen, and sometimes you have to carry a bigger sword." And then he went back to eating his crispy boar strips, like we were just talking about the weather. <laughs> I guess that's why his call sign is Talon. Yikes! Well, I just have to remind myself that it happened a hundred thousand years ago, or I'm not going to be able to sleep ever. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when Vera told me your mom wasn't running for another term. I hope whoever is elected is as capable as your mom, because the council is losing a giant. I hope she looks back on her long tenure and accomplishments with pride. Your mom is ambitious, but I wouldn't downplay too much her desire to spend with her school. She knows more than anyone that raising a baby is tough, because she did it alone. After Andy died, I would think about how lucky I was to have a huge family for support, and how Aunt Ori only had Mama and I for help. In fact, your mom once told me, "Us single moms." We would stand the waves alone, so spread your arms and gain strength from it. I always liked that. <laughs> anyway, I do hope your mom is selected for the ambassador program. That would be amazing for her to come here. She would be the natural choice given her past work and that she does have family on the planet, including a ten-year-old grandniece who just got her family runes inked on the back of her right hand. Astra was so excited. Before the artist began, I told her that the hoofler process would hurt, and it was okay to cry. I did when I got mine, but my stubborn daughter sat there with her chin up and only allowed a single tear to fall. Afterwards, Bjorn told her that she was brave, like her great grandmother Alora, and Astra stood a little taller at hearing that. <laughs> she was too cute for words. The twins are very excited to get theirs next year, and it's. 
all they've been talking about for the last week. Well, <laughs> my year was really good too. Actually, I told Bjorn this morning that I had no idea how I was going to summarize it for you, because it still feels like a dream. And he said, Well, start with the ring, and take him on a journey. <laughs> so I'm going to start there. About a month after I messaged you last, Octavia Hughesby hosted the Von Lookbook at her family compound. At the end of the evening, she had a little surprise for me. <laughs> Look what I have. <laughs> the ring you gave me is finally mine. Octavia sits on the board of the Apex Museum on Alondra, where the ring has been on display. She persuaded the curators to quietly replace the ring with a copy and gave me back the original. I made a substantial donation to the museum as a thank you for giving me back my ring. <laughs> and while I appreciate her gesture, I now owe Octavia a favor, which is somewhat of an uncomfortable position to be in. Well, on the way back to the Alondra space elevator platform, I made the mistake of looking up at the elevator, and I passed out. The medical team at the platform checked my vitals and performed a quick body scan and said that I was fine and safe to travel. They joked that I should not look down at the planet during launch. <laughs> the rest of the week was chaotic, as we finished up work before the holidays, so we could close the House Jorgensen offices for a couple weeks and let our employees enjoy the holidays with their families. But every night, I went to bed right after dinner, because I was exhausted. I felt much better by the end of the week, which was good, because we planned to head over to my parents' vacation place for the day with both of our families. The kids made snow fairies and flower crowns and built paper lanterns. I was helping my mom with the dishes when I got an unexpected call from the nurse from the Alondran space elevator. She said that she was following up with patients and asked me if I had made an appointment with my obstetrician. And I asked her why. And then she said, Madam, did you not know that you're six weeks pregnant? I was completely speechless because I didn't. I managed to thank the nurse, hung up, and I immediately went to look for Bjorn. But before I could talk to Bjorn, my dad announced that he wanted everyone to go outside because the kids wanted to launch the lanterns. Once we all gathered around, we were treated to a dance and a singing performance by the girls, and then they launched their multicolored floating lanterns into the sky. And then Kai and Mari's daughter Daniela said everyone had to send blessings to the lanterns, like we do for the Mirror Light Festival. Everyone went around and gave their blessings. My girls were the cutest and sent blessings to their new cousin Nasu. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? And then finally it was Bjorn's turn. And I won't ever forget when he turned to me and smiled. And then he kneeled in front of me and held both my hands. And I think everyone gasped with delight. And Bjorn said to me, I have been your enemy, your friend, and your lover. But I'd like to be your husband. Because I can't imagine the rest of my life without you. And then he said, I was his blessing. As I've changed his life. And I nodded through tears and I said, Well, I'm going to change your life again. Because we have made our own blessing. And Bjorn broke into the biggest smile. And he asked, Are we having a baby? And I nodded again, and he wrapped me in his arms. 
and everyone immediately surrounded us, and we got hugs from both of our families. When my girls hugged Bjorn and I, Astrid told us that according to ancient lore, it was good luck to be with child on your wedding day. And I looked around, and then I said to Bjorn, Well, everyone we love is already here. What do you say? Will you marry me right now? And Bjorn called out for someone to get him a blade. (laughs) Everyone formed a circle around us, with our daughters closest to us. Oli officiated, as we used a kitchen knife to cut our hands, and then atone our vows. As we kissed at the end of the ceremony, we felt a warm breeze. And Bjorn whispered to me, I think Stromheim approves. We found our way home. Afterwards, while everyone celebrated with sparkling vin and chatted, I noticed that my girls were having a conversation in their secret tent. They emerged and gathered the Laureland sisters, Bjorn and I, in the great room. And my girls asked Bjorn's daughters, Since their daddy wasn't around, if it would be okay if they could also call Bjorn dad. Are you crying yet? Because I still cry over how precious that was. My girls. My obstetrician confirmed that I was, in fact, six weeks pregnant, and we should start to discuss a birthing plan. And I asked Bjorn if it would be okay if we had our baby on Heimavina. He grinned and said it didn't matter where our baby was born, but that he was not leaving my side. And I told him about the naming ceremony and our rituals and superstitions. And Bjorn said, Why would we not honor your traditions? They're mine now, too, and I want to experience everything with you. And when the obstetrician asked us if we wanted to know the sex of the baby, Bjorn held my hand and said, No, we want to be surprised. And the good news continued. Less than a month later, Janine and Rune announced that they were going to have a baby. She and Rune said that they would have their baby on Heimavina because they didn't want her dad to stress about both of us in different locations. I was so touched that they would do that for us. Janine told me later, It's more for me, because I think I'm going to need your support through this pregnancy thing. (laughs) Bjorn went to all of Janine's appointments, too. (laughs) I love how he never stops being a dad. (laughs) About halfway through my pregnancy, we took the girls to Alondra to spend some time with the Venstrasas, because we would be returning to Heimavina for a while. When we returned to pick them up, Raytheia was waiting with them on the shuttle platform. Bjorn came out of the shuttle to greet them and help them with their bags. Once the girls saw him, they all ran to him calling out, Dad! (laughs) Jason, in that moment, I realized that I had failed to inform the Vinstrasses about me and Bjorn. Honestly, I just hadn't figured out how to drop that news in regular conversation. (laughs) Anyway, when I walked down the shuttle ramp, Raytheia grabbed my elbow and dragged me to the side. She scolded me for allowing the girls to call Bjorn dad, because the girls had a father. Then Janine, who was also visibly pregnant, walked down the shuttle ramp and asked what was going on. Raytheia growled at Janine and said, Just what the Empire needs. More Laurelins. And that was it for me. I whipped back around and slapped Raytheia across the face. I told her, No one disrespects my girls. Any of them. 
I grabbed Janine's hand and we walked back into the shuttle. Once we were in flight, Janine said, That was brilliant, sister. Or can I call you little mama? (laughs) I told her to shut up while she cackled in laughter at me. (laughs) Andy's brothers told me later that the girls were very excited about the wedding and the baby, and they talked about it the entire time they were there. Andy's brothers and Reese have congratulated us both. Reese told me that he couldn't think of a better person to raise Andy's girls than Bjorn, and he knew that Andy would approve. We have all settled in the Jorgensen estate in Stromheim really well. Rune is writing his latest book, and he said it's been great to have a quiet place to write, and we often find him on his portable desk on the back patio. Bjorn finally allowed Janine to open up a House Laurelin satellite office in Stromsheim. And it was fun to have other pregnant friends around the estate. My girls and Mari's girls were so excited for all of the babies. And they joined us as we went shopping for clothing and furniture and toys. And they helped us decorate the rooms. It was so cute. Bjorn was also the most attentive husband while I was pregnant. He got up even earlier than usual to complete his morning ritual, and then got the girls up, fed, and off to school, so I could get ready for work. Every night, he made me tay and massaged my swollen feet, and he rubbed this amazing replenishing lotion on my expanding belly, which was very soothing. He constantly told me that there was nothing more beautiful than the sight of me carrying our child. (laughs) And, um... (laughs) He could not keep his hands off of me. (laughs) Trust me, when you're pregnant and your hormones are everywhere, that is exactly what you need to hear. (laughs) Bjorn was also really stressed out. You remember what he was like when I was pregnant before. Well, dial that up. His late wife, Jana, was my age when she died delivering their fourth child. And with Janine pregnant too... I caught him a few times in the middle of the night, just shaking. He said he was so scared that history would repeat itself. And I just wrapped my arms around him, and I talked with him until he felt better. And then one evening, I had an idea. I took Hera and Ivar's stones from their case, and I found Bjorn reading in bed, but I could see that his foot was twitching under the covers. And I sat in front of him, and I placed Ivar's stone in his hand, and I said, Let's see if we can send love to the baby. And then I placed Hera's stone on my belly, and I covered it with my hand, and then I held his other hand. Almost immediately, I sensed warmth running between us, like effervescent tingles throughout my body. And Bjorn and I were just looking at each other when we felt the baby move, and Bjorn's eyes filled with happy tears. Maybe Bjorn and I just wanted to believe. But it was the most beautiful moment I have ever experienced. And I can hardly explain it. About a month later, I went into labor during Sun and Dog Brunch. And we barely made it into the delivery room before our little miracle came into the world. Bjorn and I were convinced that we were having a girl. As we have six daughters between us. But when the obstetrician handed Bjorn our son, he broke down crying with joy. Bjorn laid our son in my arms, and he kept telling me I did so well and how much he loved me. And we watched our son relax and open his eyes for the first time 
bright gray eyes stared back at us. And then he stretched his little hand towards me and touched my face, in the same gesture I do to Bjorn. And all I thought was, he's mine. <laughs> back in the waiting room, everyone waited to hear the news. And Bjorn came out with our son, and the Laurelin sisters and my girls all pretended to cry and said they wanted a sister. <laughs> My mom recorded the whole thing. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. I attach it for you and Aaron. It's hysterical. So hang on. I have someone here for you to meet. Hey, my sweet boy. Hi. Are you awake now? Oh, you are getting so big. <sighs> Jason, say hey to Nikolai Rowan Lorlin Jorgensen. We just call him Nikki. Are you smiling for your Uncle Jason? <laughs> He's always giggling. Isn't he gorgeous? He looks just like his father. What was that? Did you just kiss me? <laughs> Definitely like his father. <laughs> okay, little man. Let's get you all snuggled in my baby rack. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> He's a little groggy. But he loves this thing. He'll be asleep in a matter of minutes. <laughs> we wanted Nikki to carry both the Laurelin and Jorgensen family names, because we're romantics. Plus, you never know. Maybe Hera and Ivar's souls are smiling down on this little guy. The last several months have been nothing but pure joy. Newborns are still exhausting, but you know this. <laughs> the girls have been great big sisters, and Nikki loves them. Actually, Nikki loves everyone. He's a happy, curious, and easygoing guy. Unless he's hungry, and then everyone at the estate knows. He's a ravenous eater and will often drain my breast milk dry, and then he'll fall asleep completely satisfied. <laughs> Breastfeeding is good bonding time with me, but because Bjorn doesn't have that natural skin-to-skin -skin contact, every morning we lay Nikki on his warm bare chest and Nikki falls asleep or just smiles at his dad. Bjorn's favorite bonding time is when he takes Nikki into the shower with him. Nikki just giggles and claps his hands the whole time, and I never tire watching the two of them. Well, there must have been something in the water, because Mari and Kai also had a son, Lars Mikkel Jorgensen, and he's such a sweetie, and Vera cannot get over how much he looks like our dad with his bright green Jorgensen eyes. Janine and Rune had a son too, Marcus Bjorn Laurelin, and he and Nikki look like twins with their matching bright gray eyes. The only difference is that Marcus has Janine's dimples. I attach pictures of the three boys. They are all going to be trouble. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. <laughs> The first time we took Nikki and Marcus out for a stroll on the Stromsheim waterfront, Janine and I were grabbing cafes, while Bjorn waited with the boys outside in the double stroller. A couple came up and said his twin sons were gorgeous and looked just like him. And Bjorn thanked them, but confessed, Well, actually, this little guy is my son, but that little guy is my grandson. Bjorn loves telling that story. <laughs> we are headed back to Veron next week. But it's been good to be here. Remember when it was just me at this huge estate? 
I definitely didn't expect to fill the apartments with so many children and extended family. But that's why the estate was built. On Heimavina, we live on the estate in Stromsheim. If we travel to Hopnina, we stay at Bjorn's family's vacation place, or at my parents' house. I still have the flat Andy and I shared, but I don't live there anymore. I can't bring myself to sell it, because Andy gave it to me. I keep it for the girls and family visitors. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> the Vinstrasser brothers stay there when they're in town and working at the House News Park headquarters. But when we get back to Viron, we're all moving into Bjorn's house. His place is great. He bought it after Rin left for university, and everyone told him it was too big for one person. But Bjorn wanted to make sure that his girls had a place that they could still call home. I guess it was serendipitous, as it's big enough for all of his girls, and a grandbaby. <laughs> Honestly, Jason, I never thought I would have this again. Bjorn and I weren't even trying for a child. We both had our kids, and never even discussed it. Nikki was just made from our love. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Right, my sweet boy? You were just made from love. Mm. Mm. Give kisses to my niece. Love, CJ, age 59. You've been listening to an episode of Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petrocelli. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, Samantha, and Dr. Layla. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with a lot of fun special features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our Café, Bjor, or Sidris funds, it's always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at the Binary Saga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for open chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can also read the print versions of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. These versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga. <laughs>